please remain standing as you're able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I will be reading in Spanish. The English translation will be on the screen as I read. <clears throat> en cuanto a los dones espirituales, hermanos, quiero que entiendan bien este asunto. Ustedes saben que cuando eran paganos se dejaban arrastrar hacia los ídolos mudos. Por eso, les advierto que nadie que esté hablando por el Espíritu de Dios puede maldecir a Jesús, ni nadie puede decir, Jesús es el Señor, sino por el Espíritu Santo. Ahora bien, hay diversos dones, pero un mismo Espíritu. Hay diversas maneras de servir, pero un mismo Señor. Hay diversas funciones, pero es un mismo Dios que... Él que hace todas las cosas en, to en todos. A cada uno se le da una manifestación especial del Espíritu para el bien de los demás. A unos Dios uh, les da por el Espíritu palabra de sabiduría, a otros por el mismo Espíritu palabra de conocimiento, a otros fe por el medio del mismo Espíritu, a otros y por ese mismo Espíritu, Dones para sanar enfermos, a otros poderes milagrosos, a otros profecía, a otros el diseñar espíritus, a otros el hablar en diversas lenguas y a otros el interpretar lenguas. Todo esto lo hace un mismo y único espíritu, quien reparte a cada uno un según él lo determina. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Uh, kids through second grade, you may be dismissed for Children's Church, but a reminder to parents to pick those kids up right before or right after you take communion, which follows the sermon. If you're wondering, too, especially if you're new, why the scripture reading in a different language, and I like to remind folks about our liturgy and why we sometimes do things the way we do, and that's just a small way that we acknowledge the global reality of the Christian faith, that this is a faith that is proclaimed and believed by every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's a small way for this little church in St. Paul to uh, acknowledge that in our liturgy when we read the scriptures from a different language. We are continuing our sermon through 1 Corinthians, and we are in the section of 1 Corinthians that deals with the worship gathering and different things like the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues, and even a couple Sundays ago, what, what uh, to wear to church in order to glorify uh, the Lord. And so we are going to be going through 1 Corinthians all the way until the end of June, and then in July, we're going to switch to a sermon series we do every single summer. We do Summer in the Psalms, and we're just going through the Psalms, about 10 chapters each summer. And this coming summer, we have chapters 71 through 80 that we'll be tackling as a church. So let's go ahead and pray and dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. Let's pray. Lord, I am always encouraged about this gathering of saints. And even, Lord, maybe those that are pursuing you for the first time. Lord, you've brought them here for a purpose. And one of the purposes, Lord, is so that you may speak through your scriptures to them in a way that's encouraging, edifying, builds them up, and calls them to your purposes. So, Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, would do that right now to encourage these saints, to encourage these brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, Lord, to serve you with all their heart, 
all their soul and all their strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this first sermon, with several coming on spiritual gifts, will hopefully help you understand what spiritual gifts are and hopefully help you to stop doing unspiritual gifts such as avoidance, busyness, or discouragement. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. What do you hear? How do you respond when a church gives you a general call of service? Your church, or maybe even uh, something in your community, maybe there's a nonprofit in your community and they need you to serve, or your church community needs you to serve. How do you respond to that request of service? Some people may respond with sacrifice and service, knowing that they have something to contribute for the sake of others. Others might be really good at the spiritual gift of avoidance. You hear the call to serve and you have something to contribute, but you know the art of steering clear of a request, looking the other way, and believing that somebody else will do it. Others might have a spiritual gift of busyness. You hear the call to serve and you respond one of two ways. You can't commit because you're already overcommitted, or you commit even though you're overcommitted. You just put more onto your plate. Others may hear a call to service and they have this unspiritual gift of discouraging thoughts. They think about that call to serve and they say, I don't have anything to give. I'm not good at these things. The Lord hasn't given me anything that I can contribute. Now, if any of these experiences uh, are something you can relate to, I hope that especially this sermon and the following sermons will start to clarify some things for you about spiritual gifts. And by the end, maybe this sermon especially, that you will know why the gift of avoidance, busyness, and discouragement is actually not a spiritual gift at all. Maybe you'll understand for the first time why everyone is called to contribute to the body of Christ even when not everything is on you, or why you may have a gift and you don't even realize it. So this is how we're going to go about the sermon today. We're going to establish an important principle that Paul establishes right away in this text, and then I'm going to give you four characteristics of what spiritual gifts are. So let's first start with the principle. Verses 12, or chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, establishing this principle that not everything spiritual is Christian. Not everything spiritual is Christian. Look at these verses, 1 through 3. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray by mute or two mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul now takes on the matter of expressions of the Spirit that's occurring in the worship gathering in this local church in Corinth, which he calls, as a Christian, gifts of the Spirit. We don't get a better sense of what exactly is going down that causes Paul to address this until later in chapter 14, but we know that their worship gatherings from those later chapters have become disorderly and self-centered. And these chapters, including chapter 12, exist to turn away from that practice, self-centered, disorderly services, to services and worship gatherings that are God-centered and builds fellow Christians up in love. So some Christians in this church, uh, the church in Corinth, if you remember, fancy themselves as being spiritually mature. And Paul is saying here in this opening verse that they're ignorant 
They're uninformed about spiritual things. He reminds them that they once did not belong to the people of God. They were swept away by these dumb gods with no mouths to speak because they were lifeless idols. At one point, they may have heard the gospel preached to them and they responded with, Jesus is cursed. That's what they believed about Jesus, the risen Lord. They may have believed that he was a criminal that the Romans executed for treason. He may have been called a so-called Messiah, but the Jewish people clearly thought he was cursed because God hung him on a tree. And so at one point, they confessed, Jesus is cursed, but then God saved them. And now they confess that Jesus is Lord. And so those with the Spirit that hear the gospel and confess Jesus is Lord, that's an act of God through the Spirit because of his grace. They not only confess that when they believe for the first time, but it's an ongoing confession in the church and from the people of God. It's not some weird magic formula that somebody's uttering. Jesus is Lord. It's expressing the new reality of one's life, a life that is lived for Christ and his glory for the good of others. So why is Paul bringing all this up right away? Well, he's saying that everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Spirit of God in their lives, without exception. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, the Spirit has been poured out on you in a mighty way. Otherwise, you wouldn't have ever confessed that in the first place. And Christians share this same Spirit. We'll have more on this a little bit later. But in addition, and I think this is the main opening principle, he's saying that not everything that somebody does can be contributed to the Spirit. The declaration that Jesus is cursed is an obvious example that his readers would agree with. That if you are saying that Jesus is cursed, that's clearly not something that could be considered from the Holy Spirit. And if that isn't considered something from the Holy Spirit, then other things that might be said is from the Holy Spirit can clearly not be from the Holy Spirit. Not everything is a spiritual gift. Not everything spiritual is distinctively Christian. So let's give some examples. If someone says, I have a spiritual gift of pride, clearly you don't. It's not a spiritual gift. Why? Jesus is humble, right? And you don't have that gift from one who is so humble to lay down his life on the cross. Or you might say, I have the spiritual gift of confusion. Clearly you don't, right? That's not a spiritual gift. Well, let's do something a little bit more neutral. What if you said, well, I have the spiritual gift of dad jokes and puns? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. One of the questions that this text is asking is how do you use that gift to declare and display the lordship of Jesus Christ in all of life? Maybe somebody then says, well, I have a spiritual gift of teaching. And this is a good question, but the same question could be asked of that gift too. How do you use the gift of teaching to declare and display the lordship of Christ in all of life? Teaching is a good example because it's something that's recognized as a gift in the scriptures. It's something that you probably already instinctively recognize as a gift. But just because you say it's your spiritual gift doesn't mean it is a spiritual gift. You can use teaching, for example, to uh, share and proclaim heresy, something to the degree that Jesus is cursed or that he's not God or that he's not fully man and fully divine. In that sense, it's not a spiritual gift in any type of Christian sense. Or you can have the gift of speech, uh, sp uh, teaching, but it's not really a Christian spiritual gift because when you teach, you divide more than unify. 
You discourage rather than edify. You glorify self rather than God. And you tear down the church rather than build others up. So clearly, just because you say something is a spiritual gift in a Christian sense does not make it a spiritual gift. That's the opening principle that Paul is giving us. So that means we need to get more specific about what spiritual gifts are, and I want to spend the rest of the sermon giving you four characteristics from this text about what spiritual gifts are. Number one, spiritual gifts are from God. Spiritual gifts are from God. Look at verses four through six. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You'll notice that these verses are structured around the Trinity. You have the Spirit, the Lord, and God. All of who God is, is working to pour out gifts to his people. The same Spirit distributes different kinds of gifts. The same Lord, different kinds of service. The same God, different kinds of working. So you'll notice this reputation of same, 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 all pointing to a single source. Our one God, who is three persons, is the source of all these diverse gifts in the body of Christ. In that sense, that's how Christians use that phrase, spiritual gifts. It's spiritual in the sense that the gift comes from the Spirit, or comes from the Lord, or comes from God. When you say you have a spiritual gift, then you're saying that this gift is from the Holy Spirit. That's why it's a big claim to have if you say that you have a spiritual gift. Gift is also an important word. We understand that God's salvation is a gift, which means we are saved not because we deserve it or because of anything we have done, but because of God's unconditional grace is freely given to us in Christ. So too, these spiritual gifts are truly gifts. God pours out his gifts freely to his people who are saved by his grace. We are given gifts not because we've earned them, not because we've deserved them, but because of God's kindness and unconditional grace to us. And I'm using the word gifts in the plural for a reason. It brings me to my second characteristic of spiritual gifts, that spiritual gifts are diverse. Spiritual gifts are diverse. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now you'll note the repetition of the word different. Our one God, who is three persons, is the source of all diverse and different gifts to the body of Christ. There isn't just one kind of gift. There are many. What are they? Verses 8 through 10, Paul gives an a bunch of examples. To one there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. So Paul lists some examples, the gift of wisdom, the message of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment, 
and speaking in tongues. This last example he gives, he will go into detail about the issue of speaking in tongues in chapter 14, which we will also unpack when we get there in a couple weeks. One thing to note is that this list is not exhaustive. We know it's not an exhaustive list because he gives different examples in different portions of Scripture. Elsewhere, he'll list the gifts of church offices, church offices that include apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. He'll add examples of gifts like helping and guidance, serving, encouragement, generosity, leading, and showing mercy. And even with all these examples, it's important to note that those aren't the exhaustive list. Every time Paul is pointing out to specific examples, he's giving examples and that's it. So there isn't a sense where you can just list out all the the examples in Scripture and you can do some type of Myers-Briggs spiritual test and try to figure out which camp and which, which kind of spiritual gift that you have. That's not the purpose of these lists. The purpose of these lists is simply to say that God's gifts are diverse and they're many and there's a lot of them. And here's another thing to note you probably have more than one. Not just one gift, but if if it's diverse in the sense of how many different ones that the body of Christ can have, it's also diverse in the sense that you likely have more than one gift. Later in this chapter, he gives the popular metaphor to prove his point of the body of Christ and how there's different parts of the body of Christ, eyes, nose, toes, whatever, that it's just one body with many gifts that serve the one source of Jesus Christ. It's many body parts, but they all form one body for the purpose of one mission. And he gives the point that we need them all. Not one gift is more important than the other, but we'll unpack that point more next week. Here's a third characteristic of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are for everyone. Spiritual gifts are for everyone. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. God's gifts are at work in everyone. And then in verses 8 through 10, I already read them, he starts saying like, and then you get this gift, and another has this gift, and another person has this gift. Because everybody, everybody in, the, in the body of Christ who has the Spirit of God has a gift to use for the sake of God's glory and for the good of others. So if you're here this morning and you've always felt in, discouraged about your life, that, man, I've been in church and I just don't feel like I have anything to contribute. That there's nothing that I have that would work for anybody's benefit. The text is very clear and I hope it encourages your soul. You have a gift. Even if you don't feel like you do, the reality, the truth is, is that you do. And maybe you might think to yourself, like, well, like, I didn't do anything to earn some type of gift. And that's the point. It's a gift. It's from God, free because of his grace and his unconditional love for you. He gives you that gift because he wants you to use it to glorify him and serve for the good of others. In that sense, is why we can say that spiritual gifts is something that contributes to what Protestants call the priesthood of all believers. And that is that there's not just one subset of the church that is gifted, that does, that, that does the ministry while the rest of us get to spectate. 
we believe in the priesthood of all believers, and one of the reasons we believe in that is because all believers have a gift from God that they can use to contribute to God's mission and His glory in this world. It's not just church leaders, and it's not those who are in staff roles or those who are in formal offices, that they are the only ones that have the gift. No, every single person here that confesses that Jesus is Lord has a gift from the Lord. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip, they exist to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So pastors and church officers and church leaders exist for what? To equip God's people for works of service because all of us contribute to the mission of God for his glory. I remember hearing a pastor once talk about that's why we need to not treat the church like it's a restaurant, but more like a family dinner. You understand the difference between the two? Some people treat church like a restaurant, that you come here so that you can experience the service of others, that you get the religious services and good, and you get built up, and you get filled up, but then you get to leave, and everybody else cleans it up. That's how some people treat church. That's not church. Church is a family dinner. And if if you're a parent, you understand this, or maybe even a roommate. If you have somebody that's like participating in the family dinner, and they treat it like a restaurant, you start to get a little salty about it, don't you? And you should. If you have a kid that always comes down, they never put their dish away, they never, they never help out, at some point you, be, you like, they ask you for a glass of milk, and you're like, you know where it is! Go get it yourself! You're capable of doing this! You're capable of participating in the dinner! And that's the way that a family dinner ought to function. It's a family activity where we all come together in love and fellowship to contribute to this meal so that we're, some are cooking and some are uh, setting the table and some are washing the dishes and cleaning up and we all come together and contribute not only to enjoy the meal and the fellowship around the table but everything that goes into making it happen and cleaning up after it's done. That's the way the church works. Everybody contributes. It's not a restaurant where you get the services. This is family dinner where we're all contributing to what is happening in this church and in this ministry. That is what's happening. That's because spiritual gifts, again, are for everyone. Fourth and final point, spiritual gifts are for others. Spiritual gifts are for others. Look at verses 7 and 11 in chapter 12. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then verse 11 says, All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. It's for the common good. The point of a spiritual gift is to use it for the sake of the local church and for the love of neighbor. 
You know that the number one way, you know what the number one way to discover your spiritual gift is? Because I know a lot of people struggle with this. Like, I just don't know what it is. I, I, want, I want to figure it out so I can contribute. How do I figure out what my gift is? You already dissed the test. Like, if I can't take a test here and you know my spiritual gift, Myers-Briggs, how do I figure it out? And you just do old school stuff. You start doing things and you figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at, what occasion God might give you a spiritual gift for, and then other people around you will affirm that, maybe discourage that, or also say, yeah, yeah, you're, you're blessing others. Look at how what you're doing is building others up in love, is uniting the church of God together, is contributing to a need in this church community or in our neighborhood. If you do not know what your spiritual gift is, one of the things you've got to do to figure it out is just start doing something. doesn't matter what it is. Just start serving. Start getting active. Contribute. And then the Lord in His grace will disclose that through the mouths of your brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church. And maybe your church leaders will also see and affirm that gift in you. One of the things I want to make clear um, in this point, too, is that spiritual gifts are not just for the benefit of the local church. That's why I keep emphasizing that it's also about your community and service to your city and love of neighbor. Let's go back to teaching as an example. Teaching is obviously something that's recognized clearly as a spiritual gift in the scriptures, and teaching can be used for teaching theology, edifying the local church in that sense. But we can believe and we confess that Jesus is not only Lord of the church, but also of all of creation. So one may use the gift of teaching outside of the church to bless others, so that maybe students may flourish and grow in educations or, or education, or interns and employees may be set up well for their work, and, and that they would in turn bless society with a needed good or service. There's other ways that teaching blesses others outside of the local church. So there is a sense that there's something deeply theological and churchy about, about a spiritual gift, and you can see it very clearly in this type of setting. But there's also gifts that God will use to bless your neighbors in service, to contribute to the common good through your work. There's other ways to see that the spiritual gifts that God gives you is not just for here and to serve the Lord of the church, but also to serve the Lord of all of creation. So in this sense, for example, teaching may be used for the common good of the church, but also in other areas of life. And that is a good thing. Now those are the four characteristics of spiritual gifts, and we're going to go more details in the coming chapters of what spiritual gifts are, what they look like, how they are abused. We'll even get into the, the speaking of tongues in the, in the later chapter, in chapter 14, uh, that Paul will take that on as a specific thing to think deeply about and to unpack. But we'll get there. What I want to do now to conclude this sermon is to talk a little bit personally about my own testimony, because when I was preaching on this, and I hope you do the same when you hear the, the, the sermon, is to think very deeply and personally about what are your gifts, and how do I recognize them, and, and what are the ones that I have recognized, and how can I celebrate in God's kindness and grace to me that I get to use this gift to serve others, and how can I maybe make these principles take on a story and a life that makes sense of ordinary things. And 
I want to share a little bit about my testimony about how I got here using this specific gift to hopefully give you uh, some flesh to these principles, a story to these principles. Now, I was raised, like a lot of Minnesotans, in a Lutheran church. This is the land of 10,000 lakes and Lutheran churches, so of course I was raised in a Lutheran church. And this church upbringing did a great job of exposing me to the stories of Scripture, the liturgy of the church, and the catechesis of the faith. So I had a good foundation of Christian faith from this upbringing. I even remember at a very early age, I was into writing and I was into reading. So much so that it was, it was much in contrast. I had two older brothers, and they were much more handy than me. They were outside. They were working. They were building things. Uh, they know how to use tools. That wasn't me. I was inside, not, not getting a tan, reading books. And even at four, in fourth grade, I remember writing books, fiction and nonfiction, just writing these little short stories for fun. That's what I did. All right, so even at a young age, there was this giftedness. I wouldn't say it was a spiritual gift at this point per se, but there was clearly that something the Lord could use. Now, if you think that it just stayed that way consistently throughout my life, that wasn't the case either. I, 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 I had this kind of approach to learning and reading and writing when I was young, but then, unfortunately, I hit puberty. And when I hit puberty, then I thought everything sucked, right? And I wanted to be cool, and I wanted to be a teenager. And so then I thought writing and reading was stupid, so much so that I wanted to get bad grades to prove it, all right? So that was my demeanor. And I was like this through junior high and through high, half of high school. And then there was something that happened to me. I went to a Christian camp with a buddy of mine that I used to get all, in all kinds of trouble with, and the Spirit of God encountered me in there in a unique way. And I might talk about this later. This is actually something in my story that I don't share too much. But it was a real, tangible outpouring of the Spirit that happened at a Christian camp that changed the trajectory of my life in a way that I still look back that's extremely spiritual, extremely like just mystical, mysterious, all of that, in a way that it awakened this love that I always had for reading and writing, but then now repurposed it, not just for my benefit, but for the sake of others. After this experience uh, with the Holy Spirit at this camp, I started to serve immediately in the context of local church. I had never served in the church. Teenage, I was like, ah, I'm a teenager, I don't serve. People serve me, right? I was just like, I was just this angsty, whatever, and this experience happened where the Spirit descended in a unique way and then took this giftedness that I had that I never used for the sake of others and now repurposed it for participating in Sunday school, youth group, not only participating but becoming a leader in many of these contexts because there's just something odd that happened when this spiritual experience happened to me. See, before I would read and, and, and write about a lot of things, but it was never religion. It was never theology. After that day, I couldn't drop it. I couldn't think of it. I mean, I still thought about these other things and think deeply about other things, but theology was this thing that I just couldn't stop reading Scripture on a regular basis, trying to put it all together in a way that explains life and explains my experience and explains the world, so much so that I started Bible studies. I would have never done this before that summer. 
started Bible studies uh, at, at my home. I started Bible studies at my place of employment. I worked at a mall uh, back in those days at a shoe store, and I had a bunch of people that worked at the mall. We would meet at a shoe store after hours and close, and we would study the Bible. And I would love it. And I would get to participate in that and lead those things, not only in high school, but also through college. And it's one of those things that, that I look at my story and recognize that I am not the source of that deep love for teaching and understanding theology and trying to articulate it. That was a specific gift that God gave me that even to this day, I can't let it go. One of the things I was telling uh, family members about this is just like, even if I wasn't doing this, I would still be like that, you know, shoe salesman dad, right? That, that, that doesn't get paid to be a pastor, but I, was, I, would just, I would just still have a stack by my reading chair of like systematic theology, biblical theology, church history. I would still nerd out like crazy, even if I wasn't a pastor. I would still be very, very uh, drawn to the, the deep things of God in that way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to let it go. So much so I, can't, I couldn't imagine letting it go even if I wasn't a pastor. Like it's one of those things that I do for leisure. So much so that some people are like, what's your hobby, right? Like, it's just like, what do you do when you have a day off? I read theology. Well, that sounds like work, but I'm like, for me it's not. I can't stop doing it. I can't. Like, ever since this experience, it's just I can't let it go. Even if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be that, like, stodgy, old, theological, middle-aged dude that's just reading all this stuff about the Lord because I just can't let it go. And it's not some type of weird talent I have. I recognize that it's a gift from the living Spirit of the Lord. That's why I'm here doing this. And one of the other things I wanted to share about my testimony to be, uh, how I became a pastor was it wasn't that I just had all this natural gift set that was now repurposed for the sake of the church. There are also things that God will give you that you never think that you could ever do. And here's one of them for me, public speaking. Public speaking, even after I became a Christian, even after I had this uh, conversion experience, I was terrified of this terrified of this, would never ever think of doing this. I often tell the story that like I would, if I was in these situations in like, in like high school for speech class or whatever, I would just, I wouldn't know what to say. I would be so scared and, and when I get scared my, my hands get super wet and sweaty and my mouth gets dry because I just don't want to do this. I don't want to be up in front of people speaking and for, but the first half of my life, that's what it was like. I did not have the gift of public speaking. I had the gift of being terrified of public speaking, right? So what happened? People kept annoying me when I was going to college to speak at things about theology because they knew I read these stacks of books and I was really into it and I was fine talking about it in a small group setting. So they're like, why don't you talk about this stuff in front of people? I'd say, bad idea. That sounds terrifying. Really, really bad idea but they kept asking me, pestering me, like, get up in front of people and speak. And I wish I could say, like, one of the first times that I did this in any real sense at this, I remember doing this at a, at a school, school gathering at college. It was, it was something that a, a, um, a good friend of mine at the time, he was, he was leading it, and he's like, you know, you're good at theology, you need to get up and you need to give a message at this student-led worship gathering. And, like, I mean, this guy would not leave me alone about it. He spent 
uh, several semesters convincing me to do it, and just because I was exhausted, I finally said yes. Didn't want to do it. I just said yes. I was just like sick of this dude asking me, and maybe if I do it once and it will just like totally be terrible like I think it's going to be, he'll finally leave me alone because he'll realize his mistake. And in a sense, that's exactly what happened. Remember how I told you when I get nervous, I get really, really wet, clammy hands and a dry mouth? Well, I went to this uh, 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 student-led worship service, and I forgot to bring water up with me. And so that was a huge mistake. I was preaching on James 3, which is about taming the tongue, and a couple of things happened that weren't good. One, my intro was terrible. I was like, taming the tongue, what do I talk about? So I, I, I opened with sharing about my first experience, Fred kissing a girl. I was like, you know, tongue, tongue, it seems, and I'll just pivot from there. That's what I did. It wasn't a good intro. It had nothing to do with the Lord. Like, that's all I knew about public speaking. That was the connection I made in my brain. It was just about the subject of tongues, right? So that's what I did. And I got more than like a couple minutes in and just my mouth is dry as the Sahara Desert. It was just, mm, mm, and then my tongue is being distracting the whole time because there isn't moisture in my mouth to speak anymore. I totally bombed that talk, totally bombed it. But then there was this odd thing that happened when there was a student who came up to me afterwards and shared how that impacted their soul. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> that this sermon did any good. Like, what's going on here? I didn't get it. But one of the things that started to happen over time in that little experience, I still think about that today, is like how even when you, you, you're just getting started with something and it doesn't seem like you're doing it very well, but God can use it. God can use it. And then your confidence starts to grow not in your ability, but in the power and work of God, how he can use the gifts and things in your life to develop you and grow you and also bless other people. So then I still kept saying yes. I was like, it can only get better from here, right? And if that, like, probably worst sermon that I ever preached in my life was okay for one person, maybe God can start to build on that. And it's one of those things where, like, again, I couldn't shut up about this stuff. I had to talk about it. So I was like, all right, well, let's just get more people in the room, and I'll keep, keep talking about it. And on and on and on it goes. And that's who's here before you this morning. This pathetic, angsty teenager once upon a time that was lit on fire by the work of the Holy Spirit because he wanted to use me to proclaim his gospel and to overcome my fears and to overcome the things that I thought were obstacles to my giftedness because it wasn't about me. It was about him and how he can use even my weakness to show his strength. And so I share that with you because I know many times you come here and you're like, of course this guy can talk about being bold and lean in to use your spiritual gift and like of course he can say that look how confident he is look how he does this every week look at of course you can say that professional christian who's paid to do your job but that's why i wanted to step back and share this testimony about where all this came from part of it comes from a place where i just can't stop doing this i can't stop even in the most discouraging seasons in the local church, I'm just like, what else am I going to do? 
I love to think about the deep things of God and to just share that with people. One of the jokes I often share is just like, it's like I'm such a distracted person. I'm actually really terrible at listening to public speakers. So maybe this is by God's grace, the only way that he can get me to listen to a sermon is to preach them, right? Otherwise, I'd be like, I don't know what's going on here, right? I wouldn't be focused in. But that's how I got here. It was by the act of God's sheer grace. So however discouraged you are, in the Lord right now that you have nothing to contribute. Let my story stand as a testimony that you do indeed have something to contribute in a mighty way, in an ordinary way, in great ways to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve your city and your neighbors, and to do it all for the glory of God as you display and declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all of life.